0: My sermon title today is called Praise Him, All Ye Saints, uh, and it would be neat if one of my kids could, uh, for posterity's sake, uh, do a film a little bit of me trying to preach from a laptop. I've certainly never done this before like this. I know, but I've been doing some teaching. Uh, I taught some Wednesday night and uh, even some last Sunday, but I'm going to preach. I'm going to try my best to preach, and this for me is a very, very new experience, Uh, but I do have the Word of God for you. So uh, if you have your Bibles or your computers or phones or whatever you want, turn with me to Psalm 34. I'm going to preach the whole psalm, but my text is going to be taken from the first four verses. Psalm 34, starting in verse 1. A psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, Who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word. I pray, dear God, that as we go into this psalm, that we would hear what David was feeling, what you were saying through him in the circumstances of his life. Lord God, that you would uh, illuminate it to us, that we would understand it, and we would hear it, and that it would speak to us right here, right now, uh, on March the 22nd, 2020, as we sit in our living rooms. Uh, Quarantine in a in a worldwide pandemic, Lord, that we indeed would hear the word of the Lord and what it means for us, that we might not just be hearers only, but doers of Your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Israel's first king Saul had been rejected by God for his wanton disobedience and self will, and God had the prophet Samuel anoint Jesse's youngest son, David, to be the next king of Israel. But there were many years between his anointing and when David would reign over all of Israel. David, uh, during his life, uh, during the time Saul would again and again seek the life of David. And here in our text today from Psalm 34, David writes a psalm at this very trying time in his life during this difficult period. And at this time, David and Saul, David uh, and Saul's son Jonathan, had made a covenant with one another of respect and admiration and love. But Jonathan's father was bent on killing David. And in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20, you can read about how at this point Saul was so drunk with fear and anger that he even wanted to kill uh, his own son because of his relationship with David. Saul here is nearing the end of his life, and so was Jonathan. And David looked desperately for somewhere to run where he could rest without living in constant fear of being killed. And in this weak moment, David ran to the city of Gath among the Philistines of all places. I I don't know what must have been in his mind that day, and I think it may uh, kind of be like when you're scared and you just run. Uh, you don't even know where you're running. Sometimes people will even run into a wall. And here David, for some reason, as he runs away from Saul, he runs to Gath. And we all know what Gath is. Gath was the city of his former foe, Goliath, the giant that he had bested in open combat. In fact, David had stopped by on the way there. And what's this is amazing. This is even, uh, to me, more incredible, and I really think it can't be missed here. that David had stopped by, as we read in our uh, Old Testament reading from 1 Samuel 21, he had stopped by the tabernacle of God on the way out of Israel, uh, and Ahimelech the priest had given him bread. He was hungry. He he ran so fast that he didn't even have food to eat, and, and so the priest gave him bread from the holy place, as we read. But not only did he give him that, he gave him the sword of Goliath that had apparently been stored there for safekeeping. Now it had been wrapped in a cloth and tucked behind the golden ephod that the priest used to inquire of the Lord. What an amazing thing he's running away. And in God's providence, he's hungry. What bread does he eat? He eats bread from uh, the Holy place. He doesn't have a sword even with him to defend himself. So what does he do? He gets the sword of Goliath. So there in Gath, as he is there, you have to know he's in Gath with the sword of Goliath, with him. I mean, you would think David would be prepared that they would recognize the guy that had killed the biggest man and the toughest man in all of Philistia. You would think so, uh, but somehow he, his sword was with him. He's in Gath. There in Gath, the Philistines recognized him. Of course they would. And they captured him, and they took him to Achish, the king of the city. And I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel 21, 11 through 15. We already heard it, but I'm going to read it now that your minds are here, uh, what happened. So the servants of Achish, starting in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 21, the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David, the king of the land, the king of Israel, did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Now, what do you think he laid up in his heart? <laughs> We're going to get to that in just a minute. Here he was uh, running away. He has the sword of Goliath with him. He's probably hiding it. And they're saying, isn't this the king of Israel? Isn't this guy, this this guy that we have that looks like a vagabond on the run? Verse 13, he changed his behavior before them, and he feigned himself mad in their hands. And he scrabbled. He pretended to scribble on the doors of the gate, and he let spittle run down his beard. Then Achis said unto his servants, Lo, you see this man is mad. Wherefore have they brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play mad in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Akish was disgusted. You see, from here, David then flees from uh, the presence of the king of Gath to a stronghold on the hilltop of a place called Adullam in southern Israel. Now, This is where your biblical geography comes in very, very handy in my estimation here, and my trip to Israel does too. Now, I knew it sounded familiar when I read this from 1 Samuel 22 when I was trying to get context on the psalm. Nathaniel and Benjamin and I were no more than a stone's throw away from this very fortress, or at least the place where it used to be, called Adullam. It overlooks a valley, honey. And do you know where that valley is? It's the valley of Elah, where David slew Goliath. So he runs from... Him. Now, so are you are you getting this? He runs away from Saul. He goes to the temple. He gets the sword of Goliath. He runs to Geth. And when God delivers him uh, from this situation, he then runs to a place that is a fortress overlooking the valley of Elah. Now, how in the world this cannot be a significant, I don't know. Of course it is. Of course it is. Now, perhaps standing in Geth, the most uh the the place uh, certainly he didn't want to be the city he had where he had vanquished his enemy he had no doubt concealed the giant sword he wasn't waving it around like somehow lady check me out i'm david remember me no i'm sure it was still wrapped in a blanket i'm still sure it was still hidden from sight he uh before of course stood on goliath's chest he uh, all of, of Philistia bowed to his greatness, and now he's probably got that sword wrapped up in a blanket. Perhaps standing in gaff, uh, and as he's pretending to be mad and insane in the presence of the king, it was quite a contrast for him from the last time he had held the giant sword. The last time he had held the giant sword, he cut off his head, Right? You know, God has a way of humbling us in the pride of our own strength. And that's what God did for David. He sent him to Gath to hide Goliath's sword and to act like a crazy, fearful vagabond. David wrote two psalms during this time. One when he was taken by the king, perhaps waiting to be brought before him We don't really talk about David being prideful. We think of a lot of other people, but apparently David was, because what God is doing to David is he's humbling him. He's humbling him here in a heavy, heavy way. David wrote these two Psalms when he was taken by the king. As he was waiting to be brought into the king, apparently, I mean, Psalm 56 says David wrote this when he was taken So David in his cell or whatever, we don't know. It doesn't give us all the background, but wherever he was and wherever he was waiting to go in the presence of the king, somehow between being captured by the king and being delivered from the king, David had some moments alone. And that's when he wrote Psalm 56, our call to worship. Isn't that amazing? And when David escapes and David goes to the fortress of Adullam, Overlooking the Valley of Elah, he writes Psalm 34. So can you see how these two psalms are really, really joined together? Now let's hear these verses again as David pleads for God to save him from what he knows might be a painful and humiliating death by those he was once a conqueror of. The second psalm he wrote, as I told you, was Psalm 34, most likely uh, in this place overlooking And I say most likely, it's absolutely that place. I think when I started writing my sermon, uh, I hadn't actually wrote most likely, and then I stopped, and then I looked it up to find out. He wrote this Psalm 34, which we're going to get to here in a minute. Just kind of stay with me. He wrote it from that overlooking the valley where he had pulled five smooth stones from a creek bed and sank one of them into the head of the Goliath before cutting off his head with his own sword. So let's hear again, Psalm 56, some of this, okay? He's praying for God to save him. This is when he's in the waiting period, and he's getting ready to go. Now, when you read this, you'll actually miss this as well. Um, uh, when, Well, we'll get to that in a second. So I'm going to go ahead. To the chief musician upon Joe Nath Elam Reiko Kim which is some sort of a a tune that they played a victim of David when the Philistines took him in Gath. be merciful to me now. So, so listen to this prayer, be merciful to me. O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresses me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up for they be many that fight against me. O thou most high. Who are these many that he's talking about? It's Saul. Saul's been trying to kill him. Saul's trying to kill David and Jonathan at this point. Uh, He's running from Saul. So so crazily, he goes to Philistia, and there they're trying to kill him too. They capture him, and he's in trouble. He's waiting to be taken before the king, and he is humble now, and he's crying out to God, save me, Lord. He's saying in verse 3, what time I am afraid I will trust thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. And what you'll find, really, as you get to the end of the psalm, you're going to find that David is saying this. I really, really think David is saying it with some big, big question marks. He's probably not going. I will not be afraid. I will trust Thee. No, I think he's going. When I'm afraid, I'm going to trust You. Like I put my trust in You, and 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 I'm not I'm not going to fear. But this is a prayer from a man who is fearful. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts against me are evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps. They wait for my soul. Shall they escape my iniquity? In thine anger, cast down thy people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. He's explaining here in verse 7 and 8 that even the people of Israel are telling Saul where David is. And he is having to go from one place he is to the next. He's running away. He's saying, God, are you not going to judge your own people Are turning me in to be killed? They're listening to me. They're they're spying on me. They're telling people where I'm at. You tell my wanderings, Lord, put thou my tears into a bottle. Are they not in thy book? Can you see this question mark? He's crying out to God. He doesn't know what's about to happen when he goes in the presence of the king of Gath. He doesn't know if they're going to uh, cruelly torture him and mock him and kill him. When I cry unto thee, shall my enemies turn back? this I know, for God is in me. Oh, and he's saying he knows it. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. And you'll find out because when he gets to the end, he ends his prayer with a question mark. In God, I will praise his word. The Lord, I will praise his word. In God, have I put my trust? I will not be afraid what man can do to me. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like he's afraid about what man can do to him. He's trying his very best not to be afraid, but he is I think that's like us. I'm not afraid. I mean, I'm not afraid of what this thing can do to me. I'm not afraid what's going to happen with the economy. I'm not afraid. Yeah, you are. And God, I put my trust. I won't be afraid what they can do to me. Thy vows are upon me, oh God. I will render praises unto thee. See how it ends here. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. You've done this before, God. Will you deliver my feet from falling? See this? Will you, Lord? that i may walk before you in the light of the living i don't recall i don't recall a psalm ending like this before and we're not teaching on psalm 56 but can't you hear it this is the psalm he wrote minutes before taken into the presence of king achish now if you were following along in your bible you will see that this psalm ends in this great question mark david didn't know what was going to happen next Now it's hard not to point out right now that this whole scene reminds me of where we stand right now amidst the current trial in quarantine because of the Corona uh, virus pandemic. Trump is now calling it the Chinese virus, which is really, I guess what it is. It's hard not to point out right now in this whole scene that we don't know what's happening next. We've all been humbled. We're praying to God for help, not knowing what's going to happen next. Now, If you don't read a lot and if you're not tuned into the news, maybe you're not worried at all. And I'm not telling you you should get worried. What I'm telling you is that very bad things can happen. Horrible things can happen. People we know can die. And the economy could collapse. The the dollar could be completely devalued and worth nothing. And food could be scarce. All of that, it's very, very possible. If you don't know that that's possible, then you have your head in the sand. We do not know what is going to happen next. You don't. I don't. Now, I think this uncertainty, though, is a very, very good place for us to be. I think we're all very too much certain, or should I say, we were all too certain before all of this happened. We all think we know what's going to happen. We, uh, you know what? This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do today. This is what we're going to do tomorrow. This is the schedule I'm putting out, not just for some of us, but all of us, guys. We have no idea what's coming next. Maybe this will be over very quickly now that they know how to treat this RNA virus and they can keep it from replicating. But maybe not. Maybe the stimulus will come. Wow, you know, maybe we'll get money. Maybe we'll huh, we'll even be ahead of the game because a lot of us stay at home a lot anyway and school our kids at home anyway. And wow, we're going to get checks on the mail. Wow. Maybe that'll be, won't that be nice? Maybe it's the beginning of the great depression. We might all be too ignorant and unprepared for what next is going to happen. Who knows? I can tell you right now, my grandfather lived through the great depression and he never forgot it. It changed his whole life. I remember one time watching him drink a glass of water, and when he was done drinking the glass of water, he had ice in his drink, and he takes the cup and ice and put it in the freezer. I'm like, what are you doing, Grandpa? He said, I lived through the Great Depression. I even save ice cubes. (laughs) Changed his whole life. He never bought coffee ever again after that because it went through the roof. He saved money. My grandfather, uh, he was debt-free. He paid off his cars in cash. He kept a store of money around. He uh, grew a garden all the time. He was very, very proud of his economy that he had had. I think a lot of us are very, very wasteful of what we have. I think the, the money we waste and the food that we waste, uh, we live as though we just have endless supplies. But, you know, not knowing what is coming next can really do us a great favor. It shakes us off of our prideful moorings and drives us to prayer to the rock that cannot be shaken. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 13. It says that God is coming to shake whatever can be shaken. And if it can be shaken, it will. Folks, I'm telling you right now, if this hasn't shaken you up a little bit, then maybe it shouldn't be, or maybe it ought to last us for about six months. Imagine trying to live like this for six months. Imagine trying to figure it out. Imagine what then. Maybe we need a little bit more of that. I hope not. It should drive us to prayer to the rock that cannot be shaken. And this is what David's circumstances were doing to him. And I know what it's going on is doing this for some of us. Others laugh at God's reminder. They seem intent on needing even more pain and suffering to wise up to the facts that, folks, we are not in charge of what is happening next. We're not strong enough to defeat anything. We're frail. We're weak. We're mortals. We're subject to the powers of nature and circumstance and time, and our God has no such limitations and ignorance. His word is the final word on everything, and it's up to him that we should look daily for our bread and health from his hand and see it as a kindness rather than, oh, yeah, I can do that. He's the answer to all that comes to us in this world today, and he always was. But we forget about it in the midst of our prosperity, in the midst of our blessings. We forget that God is who God is and who we are who we are. Many around us will be coming to this realization for the first time. And for the first time in many years, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Some of you have mentioned calls from relatives and feeling very uncertain. Folks, I'm telling you, they're going to really feel it. This is going to scare the living daylights out of people. Might seem a little funny to you. Homeschoolers in their home doing what homeschoolers do may seem funny. It's not funny to them. I can tell you that right now. This is frightening. Our family is a... big on history and the influenza uh, that spread through america during world war 1 was horrific there were mass graves they dug holes and they put hundreds of people in them because they the uh, you know the mortuaries couldn't deal with the people the hospitals it was terrible we've lived through this it changed those people we were listening to these interviews of this if you haven't learned about it was it is it called the influenza of 1918 is that what it is or It is Spanish flu. They called it the Spanish flu because America didn't want to admit we were dying of it. Other countries like Germany, they didn't want to admit they were dying of it either because there was a war going on. Who wants to admit that your country is afflicted with a plague? It was called the Spanish flu because Spain was neutral during the war and they talked about their illness. So everyone just called it the Spanish flu because the Spanish were the only people admitting they were dying. Isn't that amazing? I didn't know that's a fun fact. Many around us will be coming to this realization and coming to us. And I pray we have an answer for them. Rather than going, you know, our kids are if when you homeschool, they can be smarter. <laughs> uh you know what? Uh, you know, we don't, you know, we milk our own cows. You know, I mean, I really hope we have something more for people than that. You know, dumb people give birth at hospitals. We do it at home. I hope we have more for people than that. You know, some people just sing goofy songs they sing over and over, but not us. We sing really good words with great words. I hope we have more to offer them than that. Psalm 56 was David's prayer before he met the king. And our psalm is from the time after he was safely resting behind the walls of the stronghold of Adullium. He had been humiliated. That was true. He had been reminded that his bravery and courage uh, displayed in the valley was from God. He could see the valley outside his window as he wrote Psalm 34. He was looking at the very valley where he had fought Goliath. God had providentially put him right there. He was reminded of the women of Israel's songs, that they were truly songs not about his own greatness, but about the greatness of God that he had displayed in his life, but not his own greatness. Here he was, anointed king of Israel, slobbering and scribbling on the doorposts of Achish like a vagrant homeless 'er ne'er-do-well, doing this to save his life. He's king of Israel, and that's what he's doing. Folks, for a guy who's going to be king, that's pretty humiliating. All of this, though, was part of God's kindness to him to keep his foot firmly planted on the realness of God and his proper place in his circumstances. Now, as we go verse by verse through Psalm 34, note the contrast and the lightness in these verses compared to those from Psalm 56's pleading and questioning. In fact, I'm going to sing them for you uh, from a song from my youth, and maybe my wife will sing it. It's called Magnify the Lord with Me. I will bless the Lord at all All times. times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me And delivered me from all my fears Oh magnify the Lord with me And let us exalt his name together I sought the Lord and he heard me and deliver me from all my fears. Now I sang them for you, uh, because I really think that's what they're like. It's like, uh, and I'll get to this, but it's kind of like a big. <sighs> here I am. I sought the Lord, and He heard me. He did. He did deliver me. You know, there will be coming a day, folks. This too is going to pass. And on the other side of it, I pray that what is ready for us, coming out of our mouths, our praise. My sermon today is called Praise Him, All Ye Saints. you know we can praise God like this right now? We don't have to be like David was in Psalm 56, waiting, wondering, questioning what's going to happen. We can praise God because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God who has delivered us, will deliver us, is delivering us. So let me get into this, rest of this, and and I'm not going to preach for hours, but I am going to I'm going to dig in for just a minute and and cover Psalm 34. Now, Psalm 34, I'm going to start verse by verse here. We're going to go in verse 1A. Uh, and I covered a lot of this in the story already, but there's something in, in here I'm going to do. So a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. So you may have this may be uh easy to miss. Who's Abimelech? I mean, if you try to look up Abimelech, you're not going to find this story. Uh, It's Achish, the king of Philistia. So uh, the people who wrote the Psalms, they knew who this was, though. It was Abimelech. Abimelech, it was a a name in that time period, a nickname for Achish, and it means father of the king. Uh, Because by the time this Psalm was written and included into the Psalter, uh, the writers had this nickname uh, for him because his his son becomes a great king as well, whose name is also, I believe, Akish. So he's known as father of the king. So in, when the psalmist put this, but if you don't do research, you'll miss this kind of stuff. So that's why I'm very, very thankful that God lets me do this for you to help you out. A psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, the father of the king, referring to King Akish when he drove him away and he departed. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. I sang them, but I'm going to read them uh, all four together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. These first four verses seem to be an obvious burden has lifted exhaling of praise in real relief after God had answered his prayer for salvation from death at the hands of both King Saul and uh, the Philistines. Isn't it amazing how a change in our circumstances clears up the world of self-distracted hearts and gives us dramatically a new attitude? I mean, David didn't really know what was going to happen, but he thought he did. Emotions and perceptions are very, very powerful things. Nothing bad can be happening to us. I mean, we were, we were talking about this, you know. Uh, one day we may compare this to the influenza of, you know, 1918, the Spanish flu. Um, but I really think that what we're living through is not what they were living through. We can have church from our living room. We can have cars delivering us food. Uh, We have restaurants everywhere that are being stocked. Uh, We have a government that's worrying about our needs and probably is going to send us money. So as bad as all this is, guys, come on, let's get some perspective. Now, emotions and perceptions uh, cause us nothing bad can be happening to us, but what do we do? We feel bad. Nothing is even going to happen. And how do we feel? We feel bad. David was thinking, I might be tortured. I might be killed. Saul may get me. Uh, They may humiliate me. They may, you know, start cutting me and hurting me. You know, he's in the midst of this. He's praying to God. Oftentimes we do this out of fear because we're convinced that we know our future. You know, Jesus taught us that we were not to lend our emotions to what might happen. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Jesus taught us that we were not to lend our emotions to what might happen, what we think is going to happen, right? We are to trust God and live in the right now, not the thing that hasn't happened yet. I mean, we could camp out here all day long, right? That's what we do. We talked about this Wednesday night from the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6, and I'll read verse 33 for those of you who weren't there or those of you who need another reminder he says in verse uh, thirty-three of Matthew six in the Sermon on the Mount, "But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." All these things, what, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, where, uh, you know, all of these things, what, what clothes you're going to wear. Take no thought, therefore, for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Right. So, what's going to happen tomorrow? We don't know. We're going to be in quarantine for the next five months. I don't know. We're going to be out of it in a week from now. I don't know. Is the stock market going to plunge? Are we going to go in the Great Depression? Are we going to all be, you know, am I going to get my 22,250 and and have to go through the woods and shoot deer and sneak them in in the middle of the night with a spotlight so my wife can have some food and my children? Is that what we're going to do? You better believe I'm going to do it if we need to do it. Well, don't, don't tell anyone. I actually did say I wouldn't use that weapon anymore. I may have to get a dispensation from presbytery, seeing that a rifle is illegal to use in the state of Ohio. So anyway, that's we'll get back to that later. But But what will I do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what we're going to have to do. But what we're going to do right now, we're going to sit in our living room and we're going to praise God. We're going to eat the food we have. And we're going to have faith that whatever happens next, God is not being caught off guard. God is not helpless to it. And God is not some, you know, he's not Ignorant of what's going on. This is God's handiwork for you, for me. So let's read him again. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. Together I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Verse one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This there is much that fills our mouth each day and nothing is more appropriate than praise at any time, in any circumstances. Blessings and praises for our God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, it says in Philippians chapter 4. Verse 2. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. This is where we see the subject of pride and humility addressed directly by David. David has been in the place where He was humbled, and he was in terror, and he was questioning, and he wrote, Oh, God, save me. Are you going to save me this time, God? But now he's on the other side. He's now in the fortress of Adullam, and he's saying, Hey, you know what? The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. My soul is going to make her boast in thee, Lord. Is it going to be in how good of a sling thrower I am, how brave I am? How I conquered that giant and how tough I am. No, my soul shall make her boast in who? In thee, Lord. Who's going to hear thereof and be glad? The humble. Let me tell you who's not hearing right now. The pride, the prideful. Prideful people cannot hear this message that I'm preaching today. You might be sitting and rolling and doing eye rolls. Oh, this thing is an overreaction, and, and I don't know what's wrong with people. It is not. This is a worldwide pandemic killing thousands of people every day. This is the, we're on the verge of possible economic collapse and ruin for uh, the system that, that gives us our peace and comfort. If you don't know that you should be shaken up, and if you don't know how serious this is, you're an ignorant, prideful fool who needs to repent. This is not something to laugh about. It's the judgment of God that's come to wake up God's people. God's people everywhere in the world should hear this and heed this as a warning from our God to be reminded that we are not the center of the universe that God is and that our frailty is uh, something we should be reminded of daily, that it is our weakness that we should be uh, focusing on not our strength. You know, I was thinking, in fact, I was dreaming about this. I hadn't included this in my sermon, but I'll tell you what. uh, This is a biblical principle of epic magnitude. The book of Philippians says, what things were gained to me, those I count loss. And the Bible says that if we're going to rejoice in anything, it should be our weakness. And the deal is, is you know what we do? We're like someone, our neighbor gave us some books and I was reading one of them the other day and it's like, we should focus on our strengths. And I started kind of looking through this book. Yeah. Focus on our strengths. I'll tell you what, how about this? How about we focus on our weakness and, and our strengths become a weakness to us? For me, my strengths are my biggest downfalls because I'm strong, because I can do this, because I can do that. I don't trust God. I don't pray. I try to do it myself. I think our strengths really are our weaknesses, and our weaknesses are our strengths, and I really believe God is teaching this. David's pride has been addressed by God and unmasked for the liar he was, and now David declares his boasting will be in God and not himself. The apostle Paul said he boasted only in his afflictions and his weakness, and that there was nothing else to boast about. In Christ, the boasting, it says, is excluded for men and left for Christ alone. It is the humble who hear the praising and are glad when they do. It's the prideful that do the eye roll. Verse 3, O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You see, the heart full of praise is not only full of praise for itself, but it is also full of joy that has praise to share with others. Singing a song to God is good, but singing it with somebody else or a whole troop of people A whole troop of grateful hearts, that's even better. David calls on the people of God to join him in magnifying, lifting up, exalting the name of God together. For God is great, and he is greatly to be praised. His name is above all names in heaven and earth, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. That's why we are gathered together. We're not gathered together because we're scared and we just need a little bit of company. We're gathered together because God is great, and he is greatly to be praised. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Folks, you will not be the source of your own deliverance. It will be God turning his mind and his heart back to the desperation that he faced fleeing Saul in the Philistines. He declares that God heard his prayers and delivered him from all his fears. God is greater than all of our fears and even those things that we imagine. In fact, Paul called uh, and he said to this, he called us to this, that we are to cast down. Those imaginations, those thoughts that try to exalt themselves above our God, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Those imaginations might be that you're great, that you're fine, that you can figure it out, that you can sterilize everything that comes into your house, that your family isn't gonna get it, and you're gonna be all right, and, and you've got money in the bank. You can, you can, you can try that. God may have a little more for you. Verse 5, here in verse 5, David praises God. Further by listing how God has heard so many who have called on him in trouble. Verse five, they looked on him and they were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. Folks, I'm telling you right now if you have fear, if you have worry, if you have concern, if even some of the things I'm telling you you should be mindful of are bothering you, don't be bothered. Let it draw you to look to him and to his face. There's a man, I can't remember his name, but Brother Kevin Swanson was talking to me about him. He, he's known for Behold Your God. It's his hallmark message of his life. It says, they looked on him and were lightened. And I'll tell you right now, if you look to God, if you look unto him today, if this whole situation causes you to pray, caused me to wake up this morning, I woke up and put on that song by, by Selah. And I was singing, Wonderful Counselor, Savior, Precious Redeemer and Friend. That's how I woke up this morning. I pray that you will let your hearts be filled with the praises of God. Our hearts are hungering for you, Lord. As we go to verse 6, we see more of this humility that was granted to David by God. In this set of circumstances, we're reminded what a great favor Difficulty is to us to remind us of our place and power in the scheme of these things. He refers to himself instead of Mr. Important, Mr. Tough in verse 6. This poor man, (laughs) this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. David is understanding who he is. He's not going, Lord, I'm king. Lord, you said I was going to be king of Israel, and and now these people are going to get me. Lord, they're looking down on me, Lord. I'm not going to act like a fool. You should come and save me. He's like, you know what this poor man did, this poor vagabond, this worm. What did he do? This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Here in verse 7, David speaks of a great truth later taught to us even better from the story we know from 2 Kings chapter 6 about Elijah and his servant Gehazi. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and he delivers them. It's hard to forget a story like that from 2 Kings, but all of us at one time or another have needed our eyes open to this very truth. Now might be a good time to remember it. Just like God had the death angel pass over Israel when he sent the plague, our angels, our angels, the one that God has given us, They're here too, and I'm sure that they can stop the corona from hurting us. If it does come for you and me, it's only because God has sent it for you and sent it for me. And if he has, there won't be anything anyone can do to stop it. Yes, sin and death came as a result of man's sin, but God is still sovereign over us in life and in death. And according to his word, we each have an appointment with death made for us by God. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. But the angel of the Lord is encamped round about us, people of God, so we should be of good comfort. In verse 8, David invites others who may not know how good God is to find out for themselves. Is that what you're doing? Are you letting other people know? Do you invite people to praise him? I hope you're not one of those trolls on the internet. I was trying to say something nice on the internet and uh, I was talking about the thing with vice president Pence and, and I said, Hey, you know, and I never do this and I probably shouldn't do it. What a waste of time, I guess. But if I was going to do it, I went on and I said, Hey, you know, I was giving thanks for a president who, was reminding people to give to their churches and, and, uh, and so list what you're thankful for. So this guy lists, um, uh, there's no such thing as tithing in the Bible. And honestly, when I saw it, I'm like, Oh really? You know? And, uh, (laughs) and the funny thing is, is, um, I responded, uh, to him. I replied to his message by saying, um, so that's what you're thankful for? Question mark. And then I replied to it again and said, I I have something I'm thankful for now too. I'm thankful you're not a member of my church. And, and I I deleted it, people of God. I really did. Uh, but but you know, don't be the troll online who's got to get every but make sure everybody knows your argument. You know, if you're going to be online and do social media, why don't you give thanks today? Why don't you praise God? Why don't you just Send out a statement of God's goodness and his mercy and encouragement. And I love the one that comes in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Oh, if that could be our message today, if the people of the world would look and they would go, what are they doing? They're praising God. They're they're inviting people to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. They're reminding people that the angel of the Lord encamps round about them. and and, and protects those he fears, that fear him. Imagine if you posted on your timeline, my only comfort in life and death is that I belong body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully freed me from all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, and that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, everything is fit. For my salvation. Whoa. Imagine if you posted that online. What did you video yourself saying it like that? Put it online. That's what we should be doing. We should be the people who are not afraid. We should be the people who are offering comfort to others. We should be the people who are lifting up the name of the Lord and say, Our mighty God is good. Have we we've received good from the Lord, as Job said, shall we not receive evil also? Are not the wounds of our friend, our God, precious to us? I remember David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. He said, Oh Lord, may the bones that thou hast broken rejoice, because create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. David invites others who may not know how good God is to find out for themselves. Do you do the same? David's praise is an invitation. Are you inviting people? to taste and see that the Lord is good. In verse 9, David calls on those who know Yahweh to a very particular action, an action with a promise that he has learned firsthand more than once. Verse 9, O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. Isn't that what we be we should be reminded? We, we know what it is to fear our circumstances, to fear the stock market, to fear sickness, to fear men. But all oh, that men would fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, O ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear. The young lions lack, it says in verse 10, they suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. It's amazing to me. David contrasts the young strong lions who are never hungry, of course, because they're powerful and their prey is plentiful. They'll go hungry and lack before those that put their trust in God. Will there come a day in the next few months where we're wondering what we're going to eat? Maybe there might be right now. We're all fat and sassy with our freezers stocked so high. We don't even know what to do with it. We've run out of room. That's our big problem. Big problem here in the Robinette house is we don't have another freezer. I mean, we got the money. We could go buy more food. There's food at Meijer and Kruger and everywhere. Our problem is that we need a bigger freezer. Buddy, we're really suffering. David contrasts the young lions though. There may actually come a day when our freezers are empty, when we don't have food and what will we do then? I pray that I know what I'm going to do. I pray that I will believe that God is providing for me, not that stupid freezer. All the power goes out and everything in our freezer goes bad. What are we going to do? We we going to do, we're going to trust God. what we're going to do. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us our day, our daily bread. We're going to be praying it, and we're actually going to mean it. We pray for it every day, and I don't think we actually even mean it when we do. Why? Oh, because we got our daily bread in our freezers and our refrigerators and everywhere else. Verse 11, come, ye children, hearken to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord, David says. Another invitation to the God God to God's people from David. He understood his life was being made a great lesson for others who needed to learn the fear of God. Come you children, hearken to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David realized that what was happening to him wasn't just for him. If there's a new Testament passage that says, do you know everything that happened to the people in the old Testament happened for us happened so that we could learn so that we would learn to trust God. And David is saying, my life, Let it be a lesson to you. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. You know what? I learned to fear God and not man, and I conquered a giant. I learned to fear God and not man, and I conquered a bear. I learned to fear God and not King Saul. And you know what? God delivered me. He sent me back to the valley of Elah to remember that victory that he gave me. That's what David's doing. Come, you children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Verse 12, what man is he that desires life? and loves many days that he may see good. Is there any man that wants to live long and, and have a good life? Yeah. He said, well, if that's what you want, I can tell you how to get it. And it isn't going to be by trusting in yourself. It isn't going to be by trusting in your own strength. It's going to be in trusting God. David, as he often does, calls on men to live righteous lives, fearing and obeying his law. And in these things, he shows the reward of God. Now remember Hebrews 11, 6 says, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and, now everybody say it with me, and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. David says that one way we demonstrate our fear of God is to flee from our evil ways and remember that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him and to believe it. He begins to tell us ways that we can depart from our evil ways in verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. We show our faith by not talking bad about people. We show our faith by not being deceitful. Our mouth can be used for good and for praise, but it's also something that can be used for great evil. In your homes right now, you're going to have a lot of opportunity. In fact, James tells us that a man who does not hurt others with his mouth, that man is a perfect and mature man. James tells us this also, that the tongue is evil, and it is a world of iniquity. Let me read it for you. James 3, for many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we may turn about their whole body. Behold, the ship's. Which though they be great are driven with fierce winds, and yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, it boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And so is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and birds, and serpents, and all. Things in the sea is tame, but and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly, evil, and full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made in our similitude after God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not be. Does a fountain send forth at the same time sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree? My brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, fig, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. What a great reminder in the midst of fearing God that we will, verse 13, keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking guile. In verse 14, he says, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Once again, a constant theme of scripture is not just don't do bad stuff, but that we should be doing good things. Do good, seek peace, pursue it. This is a familiar line from our membership vows, is it not? Each of us have vowed before God to seek and pursue the peace and purity of our church here at Foundation Church, and I pray that's what you are doing, and that's your way to show your faith and your fear in God. Why? He ends it with a series of whys uh, in verses 15 uh, through the end, or mostly through the end here. Why? He answers the question, why should we do this verse 15? The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. So the first question is why? Uh, Because God is watching. Verse 16, why? The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Why? Because he's watching and he will not forget his people and allow ungodliness to prevail. He will be the judge of the earth. When he gets into these wise wise. The why's keep coming is because God is watching. God cares. He's involved. Verse 17, why again? Why? Because the righteous cry and the Lord hears them and he delivers them out of their troubles. You see, God hears the prayers of his people. And if you are the cause of their trouble, you should know that their prayers could be your own demise. Do you want to be the one that God delivers someone from? I don't, I do not want to be, Achish, I do not want to be Saul. Why again? The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. You know, God hears the hearts of those that you have broken. He hears the sorrow of those that you have caused pain and the weeping from the sin that you have inflicted on them in your own selfishness. God is moved by this pain. He is moved by. To deal with you, to deliver someone from your own torments, as Jesus said. It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto them by who they come. It were better for them that a millstone were hanged around a neck and cast into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. God is watching, he will see it, that justice comes. I pray that you're being kind to those that you're near. Maybe someone's sick in your home. Maybe someone's dealing with difficulty. Maybe someone is afraid. Maybe you could love them and be kind and sweet to them now. You could offer words of encouragement. Don't be the source of hurt in your home. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 20, he keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. David was using a turn of phrase here to express his faith in God's great care, but God used it in a way he could have never foreseen, just like in so many of the words from our passage of Psalm 22. This prophecy was, uh, of course, would pertain to Jesus. He said in verse 20, remember, he keeps all of his bones and not one of them is broken. David would never have known that the words he was writing in this song would be used the way they were in John 19. If you remember, um, the Roman guards came to break the legs of Jesus as he hung on the cross. The two malefactors uh, were on each side of him and to hasten their deaths before sundown on the Sabbath. Um, they came to break Jesus' legs. But Jesus was already dead there. And Psalm, or, uh, John 19, 36 says, and his legs were not broken that day because of this verse in psalm 34 20 he keeps all of his bones and none of them is broken that's what it says in john 19 36 the last two verses of psalm 34 remind us what psalm what the psalm tells us about the blessed man in psalm 1 blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But you know what the ungodly are? They're not so. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Verse 21 and 22, evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate righteousness shall be desolate. But it ends on the great and hopeful and wonderful note that I hope fills your hearts and minds today. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Oh, may that be our prayer today, people of God. May it be what we lift our hearts in praise today to know today that he redeems the soul of his servants and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, deliver us from our fears today, O God. Deliver us from our pride today. Deliver us from our tongues that hurt others and uh, our our hearts that are self-focused. Lord, shake us from the foundations of our own security and put our trust in you today. May we walk in peace and holiness and purity before you, Lord, in fear of you. Lord, may we be like David in Adilam. May we be looking over the valley of those things that you have done in our life that were amazing and marvelous, that reminded us of your strength and power. And may our lips be filled with praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.